Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 19th. Earlier this week, Minister of National Defence Anita Anand announced further support for Ukraine in the form of armoured vehicles. We hear what this support will look like, including the specific type of vehicles being offered up from the Canadian military, from Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. From the return of a legendary Canadian brand to another nail in the coffin for the newspaper industry, we break down what you need to know in a very busy week in business with Mario Tanaguzzi, Calgary-based business journalist and retail insider. Then we catch up with mental health advocate Karen Gallagher-Burt for our mental health moment. This time out, some tips and suggestions on how to bust those January blues. And finally, in a blatant disregard for Health Canada's new alcohol guidelines, our Dave McIver explores the cross-section of wine lovers who also have a flair for DIY. We learn how you can make your own bottle of Merlot under professional supervision at Calgary's Village Craft Winemaker. Canada's Minister of National Defence, Anita Anand, pledging further support for Ukraine during a visit to Kyiv yesterday. With details on this and all the latest on the Russia-Ukraine war, we're joined this morning by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and expert in Eastern European Affairs. Good morning once again, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. You're very welcome and good morning to you all. We know Canada has pledged $1 billion worth of support. This latest announcement is all about tanks, and I think most people's response was, we actually have enough tanks to send to Ukraine? Well, we have 82 Leopard tanks, okay, in our stocks, in various conditions of readiness. Uh, but the now the Anand announcement yesterday is not about tanks, it's about armoured personnel carriers, or really they are about... Uh, police uh, riot-type vehicles. They have limited armor. Uh, they can be weaponized, but they're uh, going to work in Ukraine as battlefield taxis. So they can only get up close to the front lines. They have the armor that can deflect small arms, small like rifle shots, and shrapnel. They deploy their troops, and they can pick up wounded troops and take them back. But they cannot act as an infantry combat fighting vehicle, and they are most certainly not tanks. The tank issue is coming up tomorrow in Ramstein in Germany, where the NATO defense ministers will be meeting and Minister Anand will be meeting. Now, the decision here for the tanks turns on the Germans. The Germans have the, the they build the Leopard 2, which is the main NATO tank. And it's up to the Germans to agree that their tanks, even if it's owned by Poland or Finland or Canada, can be exported. So they right now third part they cannot export to third parties. So the Canadian tank issue uh, will be could be if the Germans relent. Uh, and I can talk more about the German position if you wish. But it's not a done deal yet. But it's an interesting uh, topic for tomorrow. All right, so I guess we'll get some more information there. Uh, just an aside, Andrew, uh, when it comes to this war and, and the unique nature of this war and the Russian invasion, I was hearing early on and reading uh, articles a few months ago that was talking about the efficacy of tanks in a battle like this when we're using drones and, and the type of combat. Does it still have the effic- uh, efficacy of, of, of previous wars when you're using a tank? Yeah, I see. This is this is the always the discussion. In the 1973 October War, they said, "Oh, the tanks gone because the Egyptians came out with those anti-tank weapons and so on." Yeah, but the point is that um, it, uh, um, it's all about what's called combined arms, and all these systems, whether it's artillery, infantry, armor, or from the air, the airplane or missiles or drones, they all interact because every weapon has an effect. But for every weapon. 
there is a counter effect, right? Even for artillery, there's counter bombardment artillery. So the tank is still viable. Uh, despite all the talks that the tank is dead, it's not dead. And the Ukrainians, but it must be defended. It must be defended. It has to have infantry support, armored uh, via combat fi- fighting support. It has to have anti-air support, exactly for those drones you mentioned. Because the drones, the Russians will, of course, and of course the, the, the Ukrainians attack Russian tanks too, with drones. That's very part of that attack, and you must defend your tank. So, yes, but the tank actually provides firepower, mobile firepower. Nobody can beat the tank in that respect, and it's like an armored fist. And if you want to conduct particularly offensive operations, and the Ukrainians are pressing the tank because they are preparing a major offensive operation later, probably in the spring now, uh, and they need they need more tanks. They have they have their own tanks, but they want better tanks, and so that's what this is all about. Andrew, there was this week a, heli- a helicopter crash that uh, killed 14 people, including some high-ranking Ukrainian officials. Was it shot down? Do we know? Well, uh, the best uh, estimate right now, assessment, is that it was an accidental uh, crash. Um, and now they, this is the Ukrainian uh, interior minister, by the way, a very, very important senior member of cabinet uh, and, and senior officials with him that were killed. So this is a big loss in terms of personnel for the Ukrainians. Now, the helicopter in question was a French Puma helicopter, but it was flying very low, just above the buildings. And, uh, and it was a blackout, so you couldn't actually see lights in the buildings. And it was very bad weather. It was fog, drizzle, rain, that kind of thing. So all the probabilities are uh, that right now the estimates are that it was an accident. And, in fact, Ukrainians have opened up what they call a criminal investigation on the crash. Aside from the life lost, which is, 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 is very sad, you can't get away or remove that from any conversation, Let's talk about the uh, the blow to Ukraine and, and the morale when we're moving deeper into this war with the 14 deaths. Yeah, so so this is the question. I mean, they, they've just lost Solidar, that town, after very, very heavy fighting and no doubt taking heavy casualties, as, of course, the Russians have taken huge casualties as well. Now, the morale issue is we, as far, all that we can assess right now is Ukrainians remain committed. Uh, there is morale in Ukraine to continue the fight. So I don't think we're at any point yet where uh, they could be coming, let's say, morally exhausted, and they're they're just they're looking for a way out, a peace uh, solution, or something like that, which would involve uh, trading land. You see, with the Russians, they're not there yet, at all. Um, and, and I think what what we're faced with now is two major offensives uh, in in the next few weeks. The Ukrainians are preparing one, and the Russians are preparing one. So these two offensives will determine the next level of political calculus for both the Ukrainians and the Russians. These battles, these offensives, will shape the next political sort of uh, estimates as to where we want to go. And we can't predict how these offensives will go, and therefore we cannot predict how the political decision-making on the next phase of the war will go on into the spring and summer. In the meantime, the European Union's Assembly wants a special court for crimes committed by Russia in Ukraine. And uh, they've, you know, created this special court. Resolution was passed. So does this change anything or does Russia just, you know, kind of laugh that off and say, we're going ahead with this war and we'll do whatever we need to do? Yes, exactly. Because that court has no jurisdiction over uh, over, uh, Russia. Uh, there's no world world government, uh, and so and so you, the, the, these courts are set up. Uh, it's part of uh, part, very much part of a political and moral 
element in the West, because the West is fighting for the, the international rules-based system, and to reinforce that, this kind of court uh, action is part and parcel of that. So the West naturally does this, uh, and they, they, go, they, you know, they, they gather the evidence and so on and so forth. But the actual um, uh, trial and potential conviction of Russians in this is right now completely removed because there is no way that you can actually get, like eventually they'll probably be charging uh, certain Russians, uh, including Putin probably. Uh, but the point is, how do you get them? And you don't. Uh, as long as Russia maintains its sovereign control over its territory, then the people remain in Russia. Uh, they're essentially immune for prosecution. Andrew, as always, we did cover a lot of ground. Thank you for your time. Thanks for the update. You're very welcome. Great to talk to you. Thank you. That is Andrew Asoulis, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Well, Calgary may be one of the sunniest places on earth, but that does not help us beat those winter blues. Mental health advocate and social worker Karen Gallagher-Burt is back with us with some tips to help us get through this cold, the last remaining cold and often dreary winter months. Good morning, Karen. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Winter blues, it really truly is a thing, isn't it? Well, it is. There is no such thing as Blue Monday. Um, mm-hmm. That's an invention, um, for sure. That's actually an um, invention by a, a company that did marketing for travel, saying, okay, if we make this potentially the worst day of the year, we'll get people to book a vacation somewhere. Um, but the reality is is that the, the light that changes and the daylight savings time that changes has an incredible impact on our our mental health and our whole health overall. We're just not used to that reduction. And that light is needed to have a lot of the good chemicals come in our brain to make us wake up and function every day. And Karen, it seems to me this doesn't just hit you one hour or one day. This this seems to be cumulative to me anyway. I find myself starting to get a little more lethargic, a little more tired. It's not just the snap of the fingers. You find that a lot of people don't realize it because they've started to kind of drain that energy day by day. Yeah, it is It is a gradual thing. Um, it is a huge impact, actually. They say that here in Canada that they estimate about 40% of people say that uh, you're impacted in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think that what happens is, is that, I don't know about you, but if you've had children in your lives and you see how they're impacted when, say, daylight savings time changes, their circadian rhythm goes off. And that's what happens for all of us when that daylight savings and that combination of the darkness, our body doesn't function as well because the light is what uh, impacts us most. I know I myself have um, a light that they, they call, they used to call it seasonal affective disorder is what they would call it. The name has changed slightly. Um, I can't remember what it is, quite frankly, but it's very similar. Uh, I start in the wintertime with um, a light therapy. I have a light that I bought from uh, a local medical supply store. It's on my desk at work. Turn it on, and you actually have to look at the light. It's not like a, uh, you're going to a tanning salon. That's not the kind of light you're looking for. Uh, the light that's in those machines and those devices really is intended to be going into your eyes, and you're absorbing it in your head so that you're producing chemicals. It's, it's fantastic, and usually the light therapy doesn't work for everyone, um, but for me, it um, takes about a week when I start using it, and I start to notice the difference mm-hmm. in how I feel. 
Any other things that you can recommend, Karen, you know, as a mental health advocate, it, it just mm. can get, you know, we can get bummed out and, and it's it's just dreary out in January. It seems like winter might never end, even though our weather has been <laughs> fairly decent. But, you know, just in terms of how we can talk to ourselves to get through it. Do you know, I, th- I like to think of it as we joke in Calgary and say there's two seasons, winter and construction. <laughs> um, but I like to think of it as winter comes on, it's like a bear. You can either hibernate or you can figure out what are the things you need to do to keep yourself well. Sticking to your routine, sticking to your um, regular time going to bed and getting up is a really important one because we want to stay in bed longer. Um, the other thing I would say is getting outside. As you said, sunniest place, Calgary. Get outside at least once a day and spend half an hour out there if you can, if not at least 10 minutes just in the sun as much as possible, looking at the sun, looking at the sky, admiring the clouds, <laughs> um, hoping for a Chinook maybe. Mm-hmm. But getting out there and getting some sunshine makes a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. We all love that. And it's going to be a little mild this week, so get on out there that, uh, well, free. You know, do you know what? I have a patio in front of my house that faces uh, just in the right direction for sun. And go. even though it's cold out there, my husband and I go out in the morning with our big winter coats on mm-hmm. and a cup of coffee for Love 10 it. minutes. Love yeah, it. It's free vitamin D. Yes. Get involved with that. Thank you uh, so much, Karen. We appreciate your time. Cheers. Happy Thursday. You too. That is Bye. Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate and social worker, works at the Distress Center. Well, to say it's been a busy week on the Calgary business and retail scene would be a bit of an understatement. Businesses expanding with new locations, the reintroduction of a nostalgic brand, and much, much more to touch on some of the main headlines over the past couple of weeks, hey, even the past 24 hours. We're joined by Mario Taniguzzi, Calgary-based professional media expert, and he does have a specialization in retail as well. Good morning to you, Mario. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Now, I'm just, I, I just want to throw, I don't want to throw, uh, you know, put you on the spot, Mario, but you're Italian, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you uh, very much know the Lena's brand. I think a lot of Calgarians love the Lena's brand, and uh, they've had some news over the past little while here, haven't they? Yeah, they're expanding. Uh, they're opening uh, their fourth location in the city uh, soon. Um, uh, it may be open as early as uh, at the end of this month or maybe early February, but down in Inglewood, they've got uh, a piazza concept down there with a, a lot of uh, things all about Italian uh, down there for everything from the bakery to uh, to a coffee bar to a, a pizza, a pizzeria, uh, and of course, all the, the staples, the uh, Italian groceries. And an executive chef, Mario. I mean, this is a great addition to Lena's. It's, I love that we're hearing all this kind of news. You know, we, we've heard certainly some restaurants have closed, but so many new food locations opening up. We've got a great food scene and a, and a great city that really is starting to come back really well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, and, and it's been a tough couple of years, obviously, with uh, with the pandemic. And uh, well, we, you know, not to sugarcoat everything, but uh, there was there's been some closures of a. Uh, of, of some brands over over the last two years, but you know there's also been a lot of openings and uh, and a lot of expansions of, of different brands and and Calgary's evolved, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's no longer like the meat and potatoes uh, city that I think uh, many people thought it was uh, uh, many years ago, a couple of decades ago, right? Now it's got uh, cuisine from from everywhere and yeah. uh, and some of the best chefs in the country here. 
Well, we want to talk about one of the iconic brands, uh, you know, that's been around for decades and decades, I think about 50 years. And, and there was the closure during the pandemic. And, and then there was a fire in construction of, when talking about this brand coming back. Smugglers. And uh, there was oh. even speculation it would never reopen. What do we know about smugglers? Are, are they close to reopening? Well, I uh, checked on their website, and uh, they're saying that they're coming soon. So uh, I'm hoping soon is sooner than uh, than later because, man, oh, man, that was one of my go-to places uh, uh, in the 80s especially. Like, uh, you know, And it's going to be interesting to see what it's like because I, for any of the listeners out there, I don't know if they, they remember what Old Smugglers was like, but it was like going into a dungeon in the, in the basement. It was so so um uh dark down there but the food was uh, incredible the buffet they used to have there was absolutely uh fabulous some big announcements to get to let's talk about this one because uh, we checked on it or talked about it yesterday and, and today it's kind of getting closer and closer now but we know zellers is coming back this is wild uh, it is wild, and uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to sit on the fence on that one and and, <laughs> and see if this is going to be a success or not. Because uh, I, I don't know. It, it just seems to be an odd fit. Uh, you know, uh, Zellers, which uh, known for, for being uh, you know a discount brand, um, you know, uh, for years and decades uh, in the Canadian retail landscape. Uh, going into a store like the Bay, a little more, uh, you know, upper scale, so to speak, in, in the retail sector. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to unfold. But the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, one of the things that Zellers was known for and, and, and extremely popular for was the fact that it had a restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And oh, yeah. uh, and uh, that's why a lot of people went to uh, the Zellers back in the day. And uh, the, apparently these ones, because of the shorter, uh, shorter, the smaller footprint, uh, won't have them. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not, uh, you know, they make a go of it. Yeah, we will we'll wait and see on that. I know there are a lot of people are excited. What will it look like? We'll find out soon enough. Hey, uh, when uh, the ALCB handed over the reins to uh, the privatized, well, from privatized uh, uh, liquor stores to public, and anybody could, well, literally, if you had the money, uh, buy a liquor store. One of the originals was Willow Park Wines and Spirits. News yesterday, I think, that surprised a lot of people. Uh, Calgary Co-op is acquiring the Willow Park Wines and Spirits brand. Yeah, that uh, was a big uh, big shocker of a news uh, <laughs> item yesterday. Uh, you know, Wayne Hennessy of... Uh, of Willow Park uh, over the years. I think they, they established them like in the mid-90s. I think uh, the first store opened. Uh, became a very iconic liquor store. And uh, and uh, the the one thing about Willow Park is that not only the selection and, uh, you know, that they, they brought in all the wines and spirits from, uh, from everywhere, but they were a very strong community-minded uh, business. Um, uh, you know, they gave back a lot to the community. They also had a lot of events uh, that they, you know, social gatherings and, and stuff like that at their locations, especially the one down south there um, at, at Willow Park. Um, interesting news uh, from the co-op perspective, but, you know, co-op is... Has, changed a lot in the last couple of years and and uh, their strategy has been uh, to go out and and buy companies right the, you, uh, let's not forget that a couple of years ago they bought community natural foods uh, they bought also uh, beacon pharmacy uh, they've also bought um, 
I think it's called Organic Box, uh, an e-commerce online delivery uh, uh, service. Uh, so uh, co-op is expanding uh, into other areas uh, to build its business. Let's talk about this one because certainly, you know, last but not least is news about the Calgary Herald building. And ironically, today is the seven-year anniversary of when the Calgary Herald let so many people go in the city of Calgary. And some big news about the Herald building itself. Yeah, and uh, for full disclosure, I was one of those guys let go uh, seven years ago on this day. And uh, big news, it's uh, it, they had a tough time selling that building, though. It, it was... Uh, uh, a chore. Uh, there was a lot of uh, different issues with that building, but uh, which we won't go into. But <laughs> but uh, it's it's kind of funny. U-Haul has has purchased it, and uh, U-Haul also bought uh, the Calgary Sun building a, a little while back as well. So uh, uh, yeah. So you know you got to remember though that you know that Herald building was purpose built back in the early eighties to be a a building that, uh, uh, that housed the newspaper, uh, uh, a newspaper business. Uh, So, so some of the specifics in that building uh, are tailor made just for newspapers. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and also the size of it, (laughs) you know, I remember, Gosh, probably in the mid '80s or so, uh, there were more than 700 people working in that building uh, from the Herald. And uh, you know, over the years, uh, you know, uh, through layoffs, etc., uh, you know, that number has diminished quite substantially. And uh, and then obviously, you know, the uh, years ago, they outsourced uh, the printing for, uh, printing of the newspaper. Uh, they outsourced that, so. So that whole area of uh, the one side of the building, which was for uh, printing and for uh, distribution, you know, was empty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it, again, Big changes. Crazy anniversary, too. Uh, Mario, glad to have you still keeping busy, and we can find out more about what you do. Mario Tanaguzi, communications.com. Thank you so much. It's been a busy rundown. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That is Mario Tanaguzi, professional media expert, and obviously he does have a specialization in retail as well. On-air contributor Dave McIver is on the hunt looking to chat with unique local businesses. Well, he found one that helps people make their own adult beverages. Here's Dave with all the details. Let's be honest with each other. If you've ever had a homemade bottle of wine from a friend or a family member, it maybe wasn't the most delicious thing you've ever tasted. Well, one Calgary company is turning that idea on its head. Village Craft Winemaker uses a Calgary-made product to make and help you make award-winning wine. Lori Dahlberg is the owner and sommelier. I stopped by to find out more about the company and the winemaking process. Oh, we make wine. Uh, This has been legal everywhere else in Canada since 1993, and it was only legalized in Alberta in 2018, and I opened in July of 2019. Uh, to do what's called ferment on premise or brew on premise or uvint it's called a number of things but we make your wine here but we also sell kits so anything that you'd want to do making wine either in your home or at the store we can supply you with after you've filled out your declaration for the brew on premise we pick out a wine and your big task is to sprinkle the yeast in i come in we do that, I sprinkle the yeast, um, I leave. Now what does that look like for you guys after I've left? We put it in, add all the fruit and oak and 
you know, whatever else we put in. Um, and then we stop, you know, do what's called the finings, which is you stop the fermentation. You take out the oak and that and settle it out. And then four days before you're coming in to bottle, we'll um, pull the plug and get you set up. So when you walk in the door, all you do is run your bottles through and we hook you up to the bottling machine and you get to, and you you get to taste an amount when you're here and we can adjust the taste of it at the end and it makes a big difference the calgary company also uses a calgary made product in the process called the u wine maker it's a patented system that was made in calgary and it produces extraordinary wine um it's clear it's got a bouquet it's got a freshness and it's drinkable probably within the first month but you can let it lay down it doesn't have to sit for three to six months as most pale and carboy wine has to you can go home drink one that night and then let it sit for a week and then you know start building your wine cellar so you'll get 30 bottles you can split it with a friend if you're the two of you come in or you lay, be disciplined and lay 10 down or 15 down and come and drink two of those a year for the next five years and see how it matures. It's lovely how it changes. And for those looking to make it at home, Village Craft Wine has kits available and are ready to help. We use the U wine maker here because it makes superior wine, but we also sell it. And you can take one home, adopt one. And actually, we can even rent them out for a month if you really wanted to try it before you bought it. And you just follow the instructions. We take all phone calls, no matter how many times you call us, and we'll walk you through. Uh, you can make it on your kitchen counter or your workbench or your laundry room counter, but it has to go and stay where it is. It doesn't move. And then when you're ready to, when you're at the end, you pull the plug, you clean your, you clean your bottles, and you bottle right out of there, cork them, and you're set to go. So you can do it either way. It's 45 minutes here. It's, you know, a little bit longer at home, but it's nowhere like your uncle's basement wine was, let me tell you. And customer reaction? Well, they get to taste it before they bottle it here, and they're just going, oh, this is so much better than my friend's stuff or what my uncle used to make type thing. And, um, and they're just thrilled, and it the common thing that is it's so nice to go home and know when you pull a bottle off the shelf you know exactly what you're getting it's not the guesswork we've won uh 12 medals now in an international worldwide competition which we've only entered two of them and we've already won 12 medals um because the wine we make plus being a sommelier uh, makes such a difference in the quality of wine and the U winemaker is head and shoulders above any other process in the city oh and did i fail to mention they will also help you make beer for more information visit villagewinemaker.ca or visit one block east of mcleod on 58th avenue for qr calgary i'm dave mciver